How can we stay on top of the fast-changing landscape of 21st century living and learning? This is the driving question that feeds our chats here on STEMcast. So join me as I talk to teachers, students, advocates, STEM practitioners, and lifelong learners. If you have not done so already, do hit that subscribe button so you stay on the loop of latest episodes of this podcast. Over the last two years, learning has shifted in ways we never imagined. The digital platform it has inhibited for most of the pandemic period came in handy as the world tried to figure out how to survive the health crisis. Perhaps it is a blessing in disguise that such unavoidable and dramatic shift would result in a rethinking of the purpose and process of learning. Murtaba Senwarla, our guest today, is an advocate for learning that connects to real-world problem-solving. His work is in education as Apple Education Specialist and Lead Robotics Trainer has taught him the value of learning with the future in mind. I am really excited to pick his brains on our favorite topic, which is education. So let's get right in, and you're listening to STEMcast. All right, Marcella, welcome to the STEMcast podcast. I'm very excited to have you here today. Thank you, Ms. Latifa. It's a pleasure for me to be a, I've been a fan of your podcast uh, and been following it. So it's a pleasure to be a guest here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember touching base with you, you know, a few months back and I said, we have to get you on the show. And it's just been the, that whirlwind of so much going on. And finally, you know, we, we made it happen. So thank you for accepting the invitation. And uh, we're very excited to jump right in. So I think that where I'd like to start off would be, you know, maybe asking you a little bit about how did you pursue, a, you know, a career in education to start out with? Like, did you, did you always know that this was something that you wanted to follow or how did it come along? So maybe if you can just take us a little bit back. So I wasn't involved in the field of education. It just happened for me. I have done my bachelor's as a mechanical engineer. And while I was doing my engineering, I did some volunteering work uh, for a team for WRO, which is a robotics competition back uh, there on the weekends. And that's where I got interested in uh, Lego and robotics, which was there. Then I came here, I was still working for an LG uh, in terms of uh, quality control engineer. And I shifted to Dubai as a mechanical engineer. And I said, well, why not start something on the weekends uh, for robotics? And that's where I approached the Lego partner over here. And they offered me, a, while I was doing that part-time gig, they offered me a work, not as a robotics trainer, but as a industrial mechanical engineer to do turnkey projects with universities. So that's where my career in education started. Then working for two years with universities, uh, especially installing uh, a turnkey projects for mechanical labs, wind uh, thermal labs, I saw a trend uh, of a lot of 3D printers and digital science uh, equipments being used, which was a blurred line between universities and K-12. So that's when I shifted my focus more to design and innovation and creativity with 
starting off with 3d printers but then the whole segment there and that's how i stepped into the world of education and i'm i'm really glad the last 10 years have been a wonderful journey it's one of the fields where you keep learning every single moment from teacher from a training or just talking to even a student 100% and i think this is a perfect segue to what i wanted to ask uh, about you know how you currently see what edu- what let's say what the curriculum looks like today and how can you best uh, improve the curriculum if any curriculum uh, you know having having been in a position where you know you're currently doing this um, as an Apple education specialist as well. So this is something that we want to also dive into. Like what does an Apple education specialist do? And then maybe tying it to, you know, if you had an opportunity to improve a curriculum, whatever that is, how would you go about um, improving it? So interestingly, I, uh, I've been working as an Apple education specialist uh, from the last uh, one year. Uh, and being an Apple professional learning specialist from the last two and a half years. So I was talking to one of the teachers uh, where they had a whole STEM lab. uh, And the conversation was, what is the most expensive resource in the room? And it turned out with all the different resources, there were a bunch of iPads which were there. And they were the most underutilized in the room. They were only used for some apps which connected to the different kits and all. So then that's where I started to ponder and see how technology, not just hands-on technology, but the digital side of technology comes into play in enhancing learning and teaching. And that's where my role blurs between hands-on learning and what I do with as an Apple education specialist. So iPads have traditionally been only used for apps, maybe camera or scanning a document. But having the correct workflow and the use of apps and using that as reflection can create a lot more value to whatever subject you're teaching. And I think if there is proper training and proper awareness created that any kind of technology, it's not Apple, it could be if you're using a Google Suite or using a tablet or a device, if the kids get to know the extent of how the technology could be used. I think that's a very powerful resource. So what I'm sensing here from you is something that I personally resonate with as well, which is that technology is, you know, is a tool in many ways, you know, if put um, in the hands of learners and if used the right way, it can unlock massive, massive opportunity in terms of seeing how technology can be used to leverage these um, innate human skills, you know, like the curiosity, creativity, imagination, etc. Has that been the case for you? Have you uh, yourself seen, uh, you know, when you put the right kind of technology, let's say in the hands of uh, learners, how they take this technology and really come out with fantastic um, projects, et cetera. Uh, do you want to share like a personal story maybe that you came across or something that you were wowed with? Yes, I, I do. And the biggest thing which I see with technology is having the right technology with the students. And I think COVID also helped to fast track that. 
So a lot of schools are moving to a one-to-one -one device where each and every student has access to a digital technology. But what I saw as the biggest change was the real world connection. Mm -hmm. So I could see young kids in grades one and two create small stories and books and were able, you know, apps like Book Creators or iBooks or Kindle, when they publish their kind of books, they become authors at that very young age. Or kids using Swift Playground to create apps and putting it on the App Store and looking at how many people have downloaded my app. So that kind of real world connection is what is the difference in terms of teaching and learning what was happening a few years before to what schools are more focusing on. And if I were to build on what you were just saying, I think it also is a shift in mindset, right? Which is basically moving away from consumerism and you know using technology as a consumer would uh, to more of a creator like how can I use technology to actually enable me to create so I think that striking that balance between you know consumer versus creator um, is, a, is, a, is a massive shift to be quite honest so let me ask you this um, what specific uh, area in the classroom curriculum often requires improvement and how might technology be the answer? Just to add on to what you said, moving from consumers to creators, that bridge is basically the creative confidence. And mm -hmm. if that is embedded into the teaching and learning, that is the major shift required in a classroom. So a kid, I'm not sure at what age this happens. And it has happened with me that when I was young, he or she would not be scared of taking up a crayon and not you know, putting it across on paper. But after age group of five and six, just as you uh, mentioned before the call that uh, suddenly they feel like you're not cool anymore. And that also happens. That's a weird shift that they start feeling that, okay, no, I'm not a creative person. I'm not uh, good in drawing or I'm not good at coding. And that mindset shift becomes a challenge when they become teenagers and adults. Okay. Personal experience that I, up till the age of 22, 23, just before I stepped into education, I felt I was not a creative person. Because the way the rot learning and the way the education system, which I followed, was like, okay, I never got my marks to an A plus or a 90%. So I was not in that intelligent class and that can hamper person's confidence as he grows and that is what i feel is the major change needed the other is a lot of education systems are time-based they need to be mastery based so uh, for example you take a doctor and he goes into a hospital into an operation theater and he says okay i need to finish this operation within two hours or I'm just going to leave the patient open and come out. If that's how doctors are going to take operations, it's not going to work. So the doctors, they could finish that operation earlier or they could take time, but they, they complete the whole cycle. And that's when the whole mastery portion comes in. So even the standardized testing, I am not against it. It just needs to be tweaked so that the student could reach to the whole potential. 
love that. I love these two inputs. I love the idea of the, building the creative competence. You know, they're, they're like muscles, you know, that you have to build and hone over time. Um, and I think, you know, perhaps maybe one of the reasons why, um, you know, we, we often think of ourselves, whether or not, you know, we're, we're creative or not, comes down to our definition, or at least, you know, the definition imposed uh, by us, um, by society largely, about what it means to be a creative person, right? And oftentimes when you think of someone who's creative, automatically you'd start thinking about someone who's in the arts um, and you generalize it that way, you know, someone who's, who has artistic potential, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas in fact, you know, creativity is in everything, um, even how you solve problems, uh, regardless of the industry that you are in. So I think in a way, uh, this is an opportunity for us to redefine what crea uh, creativity actually could mean. Uh, that's my first thought. And then I love your second thoughts about moving away from time-based versus mastery-based and really giving a, you know, a child, a student, an opportunity to feel proud of, you know, the skills acquired and getting to a certain stage where they feel like they've mastered something, uh, however long that takes. And I think maybe that's where the design process for, you know, the curriculum would have to play a part, but just that, you know, that way of thinking, that idea of thinking, I think uh, is really resonating with me. So, yeah. you know, Again, like I think one, one thing is in a learning specialist, um, you also serve as a robotics trainer, right? So you're, you mentioned that you know, you're, you're huge on robotics, you know, that, that was a passion of yours that you were able to harness over the years. So <laughs> this is a question that I really do have to ask given that you know, your fascination with the robotics, but are, are robots you know, coming to get us anytime soon? Should we be scared? Not, not really. Robots are not going to get us. And uh, whatever the science fiction says, uh, we are at least uh, three to hundred to four hundred years away till the time they get us. What challenge is, and if you look at artificial intelligence, uh, there was a story that one of the big companies, uh, big five companies, hired AI for recruitment. Now, what happened was the data which was filled up for the recruitment software, for the AI software, was biased against women. So anything which had female or woman, it, it was trained in a way that would think that is a negative part. So even a male CV having the word female or woman on it would be penalized with. And within six months, they had to crack that uh, software recruitment software down. But what it gave an insight is, AI and robots work the way they are fed, programmed, or trained. So robots, and you have the Asimov's three laws of what is the ethics of robots and so on. But yes, they help to, just as robots are technology, and just like how technology is able to enhance and make our lives easier, I think at least for the next 300 years, we are safe, just that there will be good enhancements to our standard of living. Hmm. That's a refreshing take on, um, you know, what, what to expect. I think, you know, sometimes some individuals may be fooled with the idea of thinking that we're, you know, 
it's it's only like 10 years or so uh, until that happens but you know it's refreshing to think that's okay like it's we're still like we've made a lot of progress obviously over the years but at the end of the day like there's still you know I think you would you would agree that you know as humans we have um lots of competitive advantages and you know we don't see let's say robots as competitors as much as actually um you know how can they aid us in doing what we do better uh, and move away from these like mundane kind of jobs and the jobs that actually require let's say you know the the human power skills you know the the creativity the curiosity so i, I feel like you wanted to say something here go ahead I, I just read an article and I really don't know the exact numbers, but it said that the number of uh, neuron connections which are there in a single human brain uh, could take half of the world's cloud storage. So just two human brains wow. could be enough for the world's whole cloud storage. So even a storage system is not able to hold two human brains. I'm just talking about the connections which are there not uh, the different parts that's still uh, something yet to be computed so wow. yes it's it's still uh, human a human body and a human brain is still the most unraveled mystery uh, in the universe and it's uh, it's still going to take time for us to even replicate one percent of what it is capable of to even make that ai and robot uh, take over humans mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm always fascinated when I read these stories about how individuals can really harness the power of their mind uh, to do or not to do things like, you know, so it's just the importance of putting your mind to work for you. Um, and there are so many instances where I've read about uh, individuals who could literally get themselves out of certain situations just based on, you know, what they feed their mind. And so, to your point, I think it is very much a mystery and very much a miracle. And it's still to date, you know, being, um, you know, new, new things come, you know, come out uh, about the brain that, you know, scientists always uh, inform us on. And so I think that in a, in a nutshell um, really paints the picture that at the end of the day, you know, when you build up um, the human capacity and the human potential, there really is no ceiling to it, if that makes sense. So uh, let's switch gears to talk a little bit about, um, you know, uh, robotics and, you know, being a lead robotics, uh, you know, trainer. What does that look like for you specifically? Um, maybe if you could walk us through a day in the life, do you do it specifically for the students? Do you actually train uh, the teachers? Um, maybe if you can shed light a little bit on this. For me, I've always been a teacher trainer and I feel that's where I create the maximum impact because those teachers can then create a larger impact and avalanche in the school itself. So for, a, for me, a day as a robotics trainer would look like a lot of prep work in pre-planning and where the robotics is being used. Is it being used just as a single computer science subject or is it used across different subject, what grades? And then it's all about utilizing that tool and technology into the curriculum, into the lesson plans. So that connection is what I try uh, to achieve during my trainings. And a lot of these robotics uh, tools uh, in, in today's time have a lot 
moved towards a lot of complicated things and with ai coming in it's still becoming more and more difficult i try to keep to very simple agenda the idea is that most of the teachers are able to use the tools and it's very overwhelming for them to go through the whole process in a single or a, a short span of time so for me as a robotics trainer i'm going to a school and i speak to a teacher and i just do one or two couple of simple activities but the idea is that as soon as the teacher walks out from the class she's able to take that and say okay i can implement this next day into my class with my students i don't need to do a lot of homework prep work revision which is there i used to make this mistake uh, in my earlier in my start of my career where i was would overwhelm them with so much uh, knowledge information that they would like oh i need to spend 3 months studying this product or studying this robotic tool before i do that and then the 3 months would go to 6 months and then they would be like no this is quite a difficult this is i'm not an engineer no i'm from a teaching background so yeah my motto is to take them and make it make the teachers ready to use it first day yeah i think that makes total sense because what you're doing then is you're lowering the barrier of entry for the teacher uh, to show them that hey like this is not as overwhelming as you think this is actually pretty easy you can start small you can build on the momentum as and as you build your own competence and confidence in you know in robotics you're going to love to enjoy it even more and then you can you know you can um advance as you go how about let's say uh let's see your 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 secrets in terms of just exciting kids and students around robotics um what specifically there that you think um works from your experience so kids love the fact that they could use robotics to do simple day to day tasks and um, for example hold a pen with the gripper okay and what excites them is a little bit of competition among with them peers and it's not about a competition there's a lot of learning which comes along with peers which are there so i usually design a task which is have a low floor and high ceiling and would have some kind of a competitive element to end with could be a small race or no could be a small task who could do that on uh, with the maximum efficiency and i think these two key ingredients makes robotics apart from because it's hands on and it's real life it makes that whole learning process a fun 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 way of uh, understanding applying and creating with robotics yeah no i i i see your point because i think you know if if, if everything comes easy you know they're not going to feel challenged enough to learn something new and i think striking the balance between something that you know is learnable uh, is challenging that gives them that you know that satisfaction at the end that's you know like i was able to overcome this challenge uh, and and you know when you're doing it in a very friendly competitive manner um you know there are lots of takeaways in in that you know in terms of just the the, the kind of learning that they come out with 
Um, I want to I want to actually mention something that you that I came across because I did I did do my homework um, before you know having you on the show. So I I know that a couple of years ago uh, you wrote an article uh, entitled "Educational Crisis or Revolution." Um, and in that specific article, you posed some questions about, you know, the soundness and relevance of online learning and how it might, um, you know, be more effective than your traditional brick and mortar school setup. So in that article, you made a case for hands-on learning, endorsing in particular the STEM fields in order for learners to reap sure benefits out of their investments. Where do you see these soft skills or, you know, they're called soft, but, you know, I'm, I'm more inclined now having heard someone call them power skills. I'm like, okay, I, I resonate with that. Um, but, you know, these like more human skills figure into that equation. Yes. Uh, so soft skills or power skills, I think I'm more critical than the four C's which are there. Now you have the four C's, which are there and you have the soft and power skills. The idea is what is the connection between them? And that's where these skills are important. And I, I, I would club them into a term which are called transferable skills. So it could be negotiation skills, you now keeping calm in, in crisis, agile management, communication, collaboration, you know, I think uh, in today's workforce, uh, working in the corporate field, the biggest challenge is to co being able to collaborate, you know, communicate well. And a lot of time, this hands-on learning, uh, robotics, helps to develop these skills much better. So most of the competitions, robotics competition will have an aspect where they have to do public speaking, which is, which is the key and the most important power skill which is needed uh, in any field today then you also have you also work as a team which is there so there's a lot of collaboration which happens and communication which happens i i am also a big fan of being productive and i've been researching on a, a concept by a famous uh, author tiago forte which talks about building a second brain now that's if you look at these power skills it's about how you can build a second brain and how you can be productive with the knowledge you gather in today's world. Yeah, so it's funny you mentioned Tiago. Yeah, I, I've been following his work and he's actually like, he's, he's, um, he's writing a book about this, uh, which should be coming out uh, sometime later this year. Um, and that idea just is super fascinating in that, you know, how do you tap into what makes you human and, you know, use your mind not as a storage uh, space, but actually, you know, to use technology for that, because that's what it does very well. And to give your, your, your mind the space to think up and make connections and, you know, flourish and come up with new ideas, um, because that's what it's actually good for. Um, and perhaps that begs the question that maybe, you know, we... Maybe that's one of the reasons why we haven't tapped into, let's say, our full potential in a sense, because, you know, we're not tapping into what the brain can actually do for us, uh, because we're currently like burdening it with things that 
um, is really not what they're supposed to be doing. You know, it's not part of their job description. So uh, that's really exciting that you said that actually. Um, so what do you perceive to be the greatest educational need of what they now term as, you know, Gen Z or Generation Z? The greatest educational need for Gen Z is, I think there are multiple, but I would, I would stick uh, to coding, to understand coding as a computational thinking. It's the language of technology and to understand that and to apply it into your field, be it medicine, be it art, uh, be it management, productivity. It's about un applying logical steps to any day-to-day -day life is what's the biggest need. And I see a lot of curriculums have not completely adopted computational thinking concepts or embedded computational thinking concepts. Now, there are, there are curriculums who have computer science or ICT as a subject, but they have been taught more as concepts rather than embedding. There are curriculums who have computation thinking spread across all subjects, but because it's spread across, it's too superficial to again embed. So there, are, there is always a challenge in the two extreme spectrums. Mm. So from where you're standing, you think coding is like a super skill that everyone needs to learn, regardless of what they decide to do with it, because uh, it is a transferable skill, you can use it uh, for whatever industry you decide. And now, you know, there's this whole, <laughs> this whole uptick on anything that, you know, whatever that industry is, and then you include tech after it, and it becomes a thing, you know, it's fintech, health tech, ed tech, uh, you name it. Uh, but really, that's, that's really the direction forward, right, to be able to see how might you, um, you know, use coding skills that maybe, you're, you know, this is not your forte, but to use it to push your industry forward. Yeah. Awesome. Let me, let me ask you a personal question, because again, you know, STEMcast is all about, um, you know, learning in a sense. And, and obviously, we, we very much see eye to eye in terms of the importance of STEM um, and STEAM. But, you know, more than that, you know, I think at the end of the day, at least the way that I define STEM and STEAM is it's a, it's a mindset more than just, you know, your um, disciplines, if you will. Uh, and so that's at least, you know, the approach that we take in terms of how we approach uh, STEM and STEAM. But going back to the question, like, how would you describe your own learning style? So if you were to, you know, if you were to dive in and say, okay, like, this is my preferred way of learning, what would that look like for you? Yeah, for me, uh, my preferred way of learning is, is kinesthetic. And uh, as you mentioned, STEAM, STEM, it's more of a mindset. It's for me, it's the connection between the different subject, which is there. So uh, just for your audience to keep it very simple, it's all about project-based learning. You, whatever you're taking, should have an end goal, which should have a real life engagement. And you should start with a predefined skill. So just like uh, Lego blocks, you have one block which fits on the top of the other, and that's how you build a tower. The same way knowledge builds up. So you take up knowledge which you have learned in your previous class, previous year group, uh, previous experience, and then you build up the new knowledge all the way to have an end goal. And 
that's how learning should be for me. Yeah, so it's like um, building blocks that you build upon, uh, whether it's knowledge or skills. So, uh, you know, you mentioned skills. So are there any specific skills that you're currently developing, either personally or professionally? Personally, I am developing uh, two skills. One is more on the analysis part of data. So mm -hmm. I, I feel data analysis is a big thing, especially in the education segment, uh, which is there. The other skill I am trying to develop is to be a better public speaker or presenter. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a program called Toastmasters, which I've enrolled myself in. And yeah, these are the two skills for me. Yeah, great. Uh, you know, I think this is this is one of the best times to to do a check in and to ask yourself, like, what are the skills that I would like to learn for, you know, for the next year? And we're, we're you know, we just started February. So this is the perfect time to be able to really think about, OK, what skills do I do I want to put in my toolkit? Uh, the story about Toastmasters, I remember personally, is that uh, in my previous job, my boss actually suggested, uh, you know, getting into Toastmasters for everyone. He did it himself, like he went through Toastmasters and he had a profound experience with it. And he suggested very highly to, you know, to find one and to join it. And I did. And honestly, like it has been fantastic. Like, you know, there obviously there's always going to be a learning curve, you know, at the very beginning. Um, I, I stumbled and I had some not so great moments, but um, now, looking back, having stayed there for, you know, maybe three years or so, um, the kinds of, you know, not, not just the confidence, but even the way that you would approach um, speaking on any topic, because there's a lot of improvisation as well, uh, I think is just so, so valuable. So I'm sure you're enjoying the learning, but uh, the yeah. journey, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a fun one. It's, a, it's definitely a fun one. So as we, as we come to a close here, um, I'd like to ask about, you know, it seems like you are very well, um, you know, aware of the trends that, that are happening around you. And you have to kind of, because, you know, because of the nature of your job. So how do you stay up to date on these recent educational research, uh, curriculum advancements, um, you know, anything related to, to your job specifically? I, I try to keep up block period of half an hour every alternate days and i just use that to learn about any new technology any new skill one skill every alternate day just helps me to be on top of what it is happening around in schools in the edtech space or just in in the world in general the other thing is i i'm always ready to learn so as you know before I suggest a particular tool or technology to someone, I should be adopting it. I should have tested it. So I, my house is a, a mini maker space in itself with all the different kinds of tools. And that's uh, where I have my fights with my wife in terms of budgeting. But yes, uh, keeping it a bit of hands-on in my space, which is important to be an edtech uh, thought leader and keep on learning and reading. These are the two ways I keep myself up to date. I love it. I love it. I love that you have a budget for it too, because, you know, they're your toys at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Like the, these are the, the toys that you play with, that you get to learn from, and that you get to eventually, you know, teach. And so 
Um, I started recently to create, like allocate what I call a learning budget. Uh, and that specific budget literally goes to uh, whether it's physical books, you know, Kindle books, audio, audible, uh, or even just, you know, online courses and things like that. Yeah. But to, to be able to budget in, you know, that then becomes the priority to say, okay, you know what, just as I'm budgeting in, you know, for, for food expenses and all that stuff, uh, learning for me is, is, is important. I have to budget this in to be able to get my fix on a monthly basis. So I love that you're doing that with, you know, with your, I'd call them toys, big boy toys. Um, so as, like I said, as we, as we come to a, as we come to a close, I'm very eager and curious to hear from you having, you know, having spent, you know, such a long time in the ed tech space, you're very well aware, very knowledgeable about the space. What is actually exciting you about it? Like in terms of the direction of where ed tech is going, any specific like tech that you're personally excited about and you want to see how it's going to be used uh, perhaps uh, in, the, in the education sphere? In the education sphere, the most exciting for me is artificial intelligence in terms of personalization of learning. So I see there has been a mass uh, adoption of technology. And with that, there's a lot of data which is being tracked. Now that data is not useful unless it provides good insight and reduces the work for teachers. So things like uh, Caligo, for example, which is a handwriting AI app or Century Tech, which helps you to and uh, students to understand what concepts they have understood and not understood. So these kind of tools and technologies I think will help the life of teachers and students being much better in the coming years. And I'm wondering if like this kind of AI, you know, I mean, we're seeing it being integrated right now, but I'm wondering how effective it will be to the learning in and of itself. Obviously, you know, uh, reducing the workload uh, on both sides, definitely. But, uh, you know, I'm more interested to see how it can measure the effectiveness of learning, specifically, you know, um, as a learner, like what are the things that I'm grasping what are the things that I'm currently not grasping uh, and I think that kind of data uh, given in real time to the teacher they then can make informed decisions on how best to approach it so obviously to say that you know the human element is still required right well, I don't I don't suspect we're going to have any robot teachers anytime soon uh, right so I think there's so much value in having you know a human a really good human teacher but to be able to use the technology to, to better aid them in being a better facilitator of the learning process and making it more effective uh, is, um, is really the game changer. Yes, it's, it is. and to complete the cycle where we, once we started off is it's, uh, learning shouldn't be time-based, but mastery-based. And these tools can help the student and the teacher identify what are the learning gaps and all the teaching gaps which are there. If a student is not able to complete ratios or X, X number of questions in that particular time, does not translate that he is not aware of that concept. Maybe he wasn't aware of a concept which came before that, which took more time and he wasn't able to complete that questions. But an AI could help to understand that this is the learning gap and this is 
where he is master and he does not know, need more time. So effective utilization of teaching and learning could be the key for a much better education system. Yeah, yeah, no, that's brilliant. Um, and you know, since since you're um, an active listener of the show, thank you very much for that. Uh, you know how I usually wrap up, which is, you know, if you had a specific mission in STEM, what would that be? Make STEM more accessible. A lot of the toys today are not accessible for a bigger population. So with a good adoption of technology, I feel there should be more access, uh, which is there an hour of code and scratch is doing wonderful jobs, but overall hands-on learning should be more accessible to the larger population. I agree, I agree. Thank you so much uh, for carving out some time to speak to us today. Uh, lovely having you. Uh, Adam, it's been I'm a pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, if there's any last words from your side, or maybe if you can share also with our listeners, if they wanted to reach out to you directly, uh, what would be the best way for them to do so? You can reach out to me on any of the social media. I go with the name Maker Murtaza across uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, and other platforms. And yeah, I'm always there to share advice what uh, what's your needs on ed tech technology or just teaching and learning in general. He really is, guys. Like literally, mashallah, he's incredibly knowledgeable. Uh, he always shares what he learns, which is really fantastic. And he's always good, like he's always up for a good conversation. So, you know, if this is something that is right up your alley, uh, I'm sure that he will, you know, uh, respond to you in a timely manner and, you know, you're going to kick it off very nicely. Uh, but with that, it was fantastic having you. Thank you very much. That's all we've got for, for you today. If you loved today's episode or know someone who could use its inspiration, please be sure to share it on your Instagram stories and tag us at stem.cast. Help us reach more by sharing our chats. Likewise, I would love to hear how we can make this episode work better for you or this 